Amen. Well, Merry Christmas. That was a great time of worship. And Danny, beautiful song at the end there. Thank you so much for leading us in that. Uh, We obviously didn't get a white Christmas, but we've had a wet one. Um, And it's going to be wet again tomorrow, but what a blessing that we had a break in the rain today. And it's nice and warm in here, and we're all cozy in here worshiping the Lord together. I want to read for us tonight from Matthew's gospel and read part of the Christmas story that he shares with us. And this will be the text for my sermon tonight. Uh, If you have a Bible, you can open to Matthew chapter 2, but we'll also have this on the screens for you. So I'm going to read 15 verses here and use this for our text tonight. This is Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night, and departed to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod, which was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. My message tonight is quite simple. There's three main points. Christmas is for everybody. Christmas is about worship. And Christmas means good triumphs over evil. Well, there you have it. That's my Christmas message. God bless you guys. (laughs) Of course, I'm kidding. If you were to find a preacher who was content with a 60-second sermon, that would be a Christmas miracle. So, in true preacher fashion, let me just briefly unpack each of these ideas that I just shared. Number one, Christmas is for everybody. Now, not every person, of course, celebrates Christmas. Not all 7.2 or 3 or 4 billion people celebrate Christmas. But people all around the earth do, in fact, celebrate Christmas. People on every continent, people from almost every single nation on earth celebrate Christmas. And this is so fitting because Christmas is for everybody. 
And we see this so clearly throughout the Christmas story. We see this right here in the text that I read for us tonight. We're introduced in this passage to these certain characters called wise men from the east. These men had traveled far and they arrived in Jerusalem on a search for a baby who was born king of the Jews. Now who were these wise men or magi as they're sometimes called? The Greek word there refers to sometimes magicians, or it can also refer to sorcerers, or often it'll refer to people who are wise in the stars. They're students of the stars, or they're wise at interpreting dreams. And so when scholars often say that the magi are kind of like astrologers, that's actually probably pretty accurate. These were men who devoted themselves to the study of the stars and who found great significance and meaning in the heavenly bodies. These were men who were educated in their time. These were men who were affluent. They had resources. And these were men who were certainly spiritual. They believed that there was spiritual significance attached to cosmology and the movement of these heavenly bodies. Although they were spiritual, we do need to note that they were by no means a part of the people of God. Tradition tells us that these, these wise men traveled from the Far East, some scholars say from Persia. And they had made this journey and they came to Jerusalem and they came to the people of God, but they themselves were certainly not Jews. And yet, God was making a beautiful point by including these three men in the Christmas story. Christmas was not just for the Jews. Jesus is not the Savior of the Jews only. Yes, he's the Jewish Messiah. But what Jesus accomplished 2,000 years ago when he came to this earth has far-reaching implications for the entire planet. God's heart is for everyone. John 3.16, the most famous verse in the Bible, tells us this. Of course, most of you could quote this. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So Jesus is not just for the Jews. Jesus is not just for Westerners like us. Jesus is not just for rich people like the wise men or poor people like Joseph and Mary. Jesus is not just for older people or younger people. Jesus is for all people, and the message of Christmas is again that God's heart is for the whole world. I love what great lengths God went to to reach these men who were far from God. The text tells us, first of all, that he reached them through their own profession or their own interests, right? They were students of the stars, and what does God do to reach them? He sends a star in the sky. He starts speaking to them in a language they would be interested in. We also notice that God literally guided them to where the baby Jesus was. Verse 9 says, And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. This is the ancient equivalent of GPS. God goes and drops a pin right on the house where Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus are. And they're navigated right to this location. Also, I think it's so interesting that God evidently filled these guys in with information regarding the significance of who this baby was. They look at the star and they're filled in with this information that it's the star belonging to he who has been born king of the Jews. 
How did they know that? Where did they get that knowledge from? Well, we don't know for sure. Could it have been an angel that God dispatched? There's a lot of angelic activity happening in the Christmas story. Could it have been a dream that God revealed this information to them? That's quite possible. In verse 12, we see that God speaks to them in a dream about Herod's intentions. We don't know exactly how they got all this information, but we do know this. God sure cared about these men who are from the Far East. And we need to all understand that God cares about each and every one of us. And God cares about each and every person on the planet. Christmas is for everybody. And yes, that includes you. The second thing I want to point out tonight is that Christmas is about worship. Notice that worship comes up three different times in the passage that we read tonight. Whenever a word or an idea is repeated in the scriptures, we should pay attention to it. We should look into it. We see the word worship first used in verse 2, where the wise men state that their intention is to worship this child. We see worship again on the lips of Herod in verse 8, when he says that I too may come and worship him. Of course, that's not sincere, but we'll talk about that in just a moment. Finally, in verse 11, when the wise men finally do come to the baby, they worship him. Now, Christmas is a lot of things to a lot of people. It's a time for family and friends. It's a time for good food. It's a time for traditions. It's a time for giving presents and receiving presents. It's a time for going to church services like we're all doing here tonight. And all of that is wonderful and all of that has its place. But none of those things gets to the ultimate meaning and intention of Christmas. Christmas is ultimately about worshiping Jesus. Now notice that I didn't even say that Christmas is ultimately about Jesus. But that Christmas is ultimately about worshiping Jesus. A lot of people acknowledge Jesus at Christmas time. A lot of people sing famous Christmas songs that are all about Jesus. A lot of people fill churches at Christmas and hear about Jesus or read the story of the nativity about Jesus. But if we aren't led to worship Jesus, then we've missed the point of Christmas. Again, I find it astonishing how much these wise men know about Jesus. One way or another, they came to realize that this baby who was born king of the Jews was incredibly significant. So significant that they were willing to invest the enormous time and material resources necessary to travel from Persia all the way to Jerusalem to find this child. So significant that once they found this child who was born to a peasant couple in Jerusalem, when they find this child, they worship him. There's something so significant about this child that they believe he is worthy of their worship. What must God have revealed to these guys? As they come into the house, we read that they worship. And as they worship, they offer these three famous gifts. Admittedly, these are odd presents for a newborn. I saw a meme the other day. Some of you have probably seen this on the internet, but it's a meme. I think I have it on the screen here, but it's a meme about if it was three wise women 
who showed up to Jesus. The gifts would be, instead of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, it would be fresh diapers, casserole for the week, and lots of baby formula. Right? They they would be practical gifts. Gifts that make sense to give to a baby, but that's not what we find in the Christmas story. It's these peculiar gifts for a poor peasant child. But each of these gifts is incredibly significant. Now, the wise men were probably not aware of the significance that these gifts had in the life of Jesus. But as it turns out, the gifts are quite prophetic. Now, gold, of course, is a suitable gift to give to a king. When people would try to give gifts to kings, it would be gold or silver or precious jewels. And so that's a gift that is fit for a king. But frankincense and myrrh are interesting because frankincense and myrrh in the ancient world were used to create incense. And incense was often used in worship, especially frankincense because it was so expensive. People did not just use that to kind of light incense in their own homes. It was used in the temple for worship. And so these gifts, frankincense and myrrh, seem to be appropriate not so much for a king, but for a priest. Myrrh is also significant because myrrh was not only used to make incense, but myrrh was used in the embalming process for the dead in the ancient world in multiple places. Now again, I said the wise men probably didn't understand that. They didn't probably think through the full implications of what these gifts meant. But these gifts turn out to be quite prophetic. Now I do wonder what Mary and Joseph must have been thinking to themselves when suddenly these three wise men from Persia show up knocking on their door and say, where is he? We're here to worship your baby. And then they pull out these kinds of gifts. I'm sure that Mary, as we read in other scriptures, stored these things in her heart. At any rate, These gifts point us to some amazing truths about Jesus, truths that should cause every single one of us and every person on earth to become, like these wise men, worshipers of Jesus. These gifts show us that Jesus is our king who leads and protects us. Jesus is our high priest who presents us to God. And Jesus is our savior who laid down his life for us. Think about that. He's our king who protects us. He leads us. He guides us. He's our high priest who presents us to God as pure and holy and blameless if we're in Christ. He's our savior who ultimately laid down his life on the cross to take away your sins and my sins so that we can be forgiven and be reconciled to God. As we grasp these truths, And we understand these truths. These truths lead us to become worshipers of Jesus. Suddenly when we grasp these things, Jesus is no longer just a historical figure. Jesus is no longer just a spiritual guru. Jesus is no longer just a moral example or a cultural icon. When we grasp these truths about what Jesus has done and who Jesus is, it causes us to be worshipers. It causes us to recognize that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and we gladly offer our lives to him in worship. This is what the Apostle Paul believed would happen if we really understood the mercy of God. Paul writes this in Romans 12, verse 1. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, 
to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I wonder if that describes you here tonight. That you're a person who has come to understand God's mercy. That was put on full display on the cross 2,000 years ago where Jesus took the sins of his people. And you've understood that to the point that you gladly now offer your life as a living sacrifice back to God. Worshiping him through your life. If not, don't let another Christmas come and go without experiencing what Christmas is truly all about. Okay, third and finally, Christmas is for everybody. Christmas is about worship. And now Christmas means that good triumphs over evil. Do you notice how every storyline in all of our films is that good triumphs over evil? And this gets at a deep-seated human longing. It fulfills a deep human longing. I mean, imagine if this weren't true. Imagine if Thanos ultimately defeated the Avengers. Or imagine if the Jedis ultimately lost to the dark side in Star Wars. Or imagine if the calloused elites at the Capitol defeated the resistance in the Hunger Games. Or imagine if the hobbits and all of their little friends were to be overthrown by Sauron and the Lord of the Rings. It would leave us deeply unsatisfied. These wouldn't be the epic great films that they are, but this is because we have a deep human longing for what is good and what is right and what is just to carry the day. And family, the story of the universe will fulfill that deep human longing. Christmas reminds us that God's good plan triumphs over evil. Herod in this story is the antagonist. Herod is trying to destroy Christmas. When the wise men get to town and they're asking, hey, so where is your king? Where's the king child that you guys, you guys have here, right? They probably got a bunch of blank stares and they probably got a bunch of people who were feeling uneasy around them. And somebody obviously heard the wise men asking about where this baby, this child king was. And they thought to themselves, oh boy, Herod's not going to like hearing this. And so they went and they shared this report with him. Hey, there's these guys here that are looking for a king of the Jews. And when they reported it to Herod, here's what we read in verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Now I'm going to give you a 60 second history lesson because Herod is a very fascinating man. Herod is an eminently capable leader and politician and he ruled over Judea for 35 years. He was, he's known to history as a master builder. His famous or most famous construction project was the second temple right there in Jerusalem. But he is also known to history as being a cutthroat and violent man. The list of people that Herod exterminated and executed is very, very, very long. And as it relates to our text here tonight, the important thing to know is that when these magi from the east come and arrive in Jerusalem, Herod is at the end of his life and at the end of his reign. And he is dealing with years-long drama in his family. It didn't help that he had 10 wives, so I don't recommend that for anybody. And with these 10 wives, he had many, 
male heirs. And what was going on as Herod's getting ready to die is that his wives are wanting their sons to be the ones that take the throne after Herod dies. And so there's all of this intrigue in the family and there's plots and there's lies and there's conspiracies and brothers against brothers. And Herod ultimately executes multiple sons. Herod rewrites his will six different times because all of a sudden he's got to change the plan and write this kid out and add that kid in. And it happens six different times. And it is in this environment where Herod has grown in paranoia because his family is trying to kill him and everybody wants the throne that the Magi come strolling into town. Say, where's this new king who was born for the Jews? It didn't sit well with them. And so Herod wants to get to the bottom of it. He calls in the religious experts. He asks them, where's the Christ to be born? They knew. The prophet Micah in Micah chapter 5 had said this future ruler would come from Bethlehem. So Herod, ever the schemer, hatches a plan. He calls a secret meeting with the wise men. And he says, listen, when did the star first appear? And he's doing the calculations. And he concludes that the baby cannot be over two years old, because in verse 16, he's going to dispatch troops to go kill all the male children to and under in Bethlehem. Now this is an aside, but we learn here that all of our nativity sets are totally wrong. By the time the wise men arrive, Jesus is a young boy, maybe even upwards of two years old. And all of our nativity sets have the wise men there on the night that he's born. So they're totally wrong. Now, of course, this does not mean that we need to go home and trash our nativity sets. This is heresy and throw those things in the trash. I can see the death of a hundred nativities tonight. There's no need for that. Maybe what we could do is move the wise men further to the east in your house, though, to make this a little bit more accurate. But in verse 8, Herod sends them to Bethlehem to find the child for him and report back. And off these men go blissfully ignorant. But here's the important point that I want to make for us in in closing tonight. These men were blissfully ignorant of Herod's schemes, but God was not. And so in verse 12, we read that God sends a dream to these men who are experts in dreams. And in the dream, he warns them, do not go back to Herod. And they depart out of Jerusalem another way and they circle back to Persia. And in verses 13 through 15, God sends an angel to Joseph to say, you need to also get down to Egypt. You need to flee because Herod wants to kill Jesus. And so God foils the plan of Herod. But understand this, behind Herod was the real enemy of Christmas, Satan himself. Ever since Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, Satan was put on notice that one day God would send a child born of a woman who would crush his head. And Satan throughout the Old Testament is on a mission to stop that from happening. He wants to destroy Israel and he fails. And now he's hoping that Herod will destroy the Christ and Herod fails. But Satan does not give up. When Jesus begins his public ministry, who shows up on the scene? Satan himself. And he tempts Jesus and tries to derail the plan and he fails. But Satan doesn't give up. And so at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, after he's preached the good news, after he's healed the sick, after he has revealed God to humanity, Satan is there again. And he turns the religious leaders on Jesus. And he actually 
enters into one of Jesus' disciples who then betrays him. And they arrest Jesus, and they try Jesus, and they nail him to a cross. And Satan must have thought in that moment, finally, I did it. It's over. God's wrong. And yet, family, as we've been learning on Sunday mornings through our studies in Colossians, God in his infinite wisdom had this whole plan calculated. And the cross was not the end of Jesus, and it was not the end of the Christmas story, and it was not the end of God's rescue plan. It was the means to it. And as we've learned in Colossians, it was through the cross that God reconciled to himself all things, including every single person who puts their faith in Jesus. And what's more, we've learned that it was through the cross that Jesus disarmed the rulers and the authorities and he put them to open shame, triumphing over them in him. That's Colossians 2.15. And so at the cross and through the death of Jesus where Satan feels like he's won, it's actually the greatest reversal in history. And so Christmas reminds us that no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever stop God's good plan. And I don't know about you, but for me, this is some really good news. Because just like 2,000 years ago, the world was a dark and turbulent and scary place. The world of today is still a dark and scary and turbulent place. 2020 was a year like no other. But in many ways, for a lot of people, 2021 has felt even worse. But for all of us that are in Christ here today, we know that ultimately our story will end as a good one. That ultimately, like every other great story, the story of our universe is that good triumphs over evil. 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to this earth in a manger and at some point in the future, and God willing, not that far off, Jesus will come again in glory. And when he does, Jesus is going to usher in a new heavens and a new earth where only righteousness and joy and peace are allowed admittance. And for all of us who have put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, guess what? For all of us who, like the wise men, have received Jesus as king, we will live and we will dwell with the Lord in the new heavens and the new earth forever. It never ends. And so we as Christians at Christmas have reason to celebrate and to be filled with joy because our story will be the gladdest and happiest story ever told. Amen? Amen. Please pray with me.